Hello and welcome to episode four of Rebel City Podcast. As always, I've got Matt. And this week's guest is Kevin O'Reilly. How's it going, man? Not bad, man. Not bad. I'm just realising I should have corrected you before we started. My name's Kevin. Right, so <laughs> this will be the first topic of conversation. <laughs> Let's discuss, then, right? Let's discuss where did the Where did the Kevin come from? Right, well, I mean, I definitely share some responsibility in this, right? But it, officially it started in second year history when uh, Mandy Murphy, who was somebody that I knew from school, turned around and read my name off my jotter and went, is your name Kevin? And I went, no, no, it's just Kevin. She was like, is it spelt like that with A? And I was like, aye, aye, that's how it's spelt. And she was like, aye, your name's Kevin. And proceeded to go about telling everybody that, that was my name. And pretty soon I was responding to it after, I, you know, I spent like, let's say, let's say I spent a month, maybe two months being like, no, Kevin. You know, and everybody knew, but you know what it's like in school, man, there's no saving it. And then somewhere along the line, I have to say, I made my peace with it. You know, I was like, fuck it, that's my name, I don't right. care, like, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Enough. Like, there's people getting caught a lot worse around here, I'll, I'll take that, right? Um, but it's definitely Kevin then. Aye, but then by the time I got to uni, man, it was it was definitely Kevin. And so right. I can actually place, if I'm walking down the street and somebody shouts my name, I can actually place who it is, and, well, not necessarily who it is, but what, like, if I know him for school or after school, do you know what I mean? Aye. I was doing a gig in the Corinthian a few years ago, and somebody, I was walking through, you know, to get to the piano, somebody shouted, Kevin! I was like, that's, this is somebody for school, man. School. Here we go, I'm going to turn around. It was, I'm the exact same, man. If anybody calls me Shields, it's, it's either right. a really close mate or yeah. somebody new mate at school. There's a bad one, man. My, my pal's dad, uh, my pal Sweeney's dad, Pat, lovely guy. I've told him, I, all through school, he was calling me Kevin. I'm like, all right, Pat, how's it going, neighbor? And then I got to like 18, and I was like, Pat, my name's Kevin, right? And I know he knows, and he's, he, he tries to date it, but, and I see him, like, if he talks to me and he says it, you know, he'll be like, oh, I know Kevin, sorry. But even now, man, he'll be like, you know, Sweeney, there's Kevin on the phone for you. And you're just like, no. So it's never going to go. It's know, never go- it I'm, I'm forever for the rest of my life. It will mean? be forever, man. Um, yeah. And you're right; it's your fault, mate. It's not my it fault. Is. No, no, it is. So fault, our guest man. is Kevin O'Reilly, and Beautiful. Kev, you're a professional musician, um, creator, producer, presenter, a flat to right, um, and just an all-round like interesting character to me, anyway. Somebody Thanks, that man. knows. Yeah. A little bit about you, um, not a lot about you, but a little bit about you. You're a very interesting character. That was why I wanted to get you on because I think we could have a, a really cool conversation. But do you want to just give a wee picture what Flat Two Right is? Aye, it, it's a show that I started um, basically uh, because I wanted to learn to produce more. I was producing a lot of my own stuff at home, but. Um, it's, you can be very closed off if you're only ever doing your own thing. You know it's hard to develop like every aspect of what you're doing. So I was needing an opportunity to work with people that weren't just my friends. Although I've got a lot of amazingly talented friends. In fact, the entire first season of the show is like just my closest friends, really. Um, that rings a bell. <laughs> right, but that's how it's done, man. Right, it's, you need you need friends to help you start. But uh, sure. so that's why I started it, and now it's it, I'm hoping to turn it into a kind of platform for local um, or Glasgow-based, preferably singer-songwriters, um, classical musicians, jazz musicians, folk musicians. Also want to get some uh, poets and stuff like that in down the line. We'll see. I'd like to develop it as much as I possibly can into whatever it can be used for, for by anybody who wants to appear on it, really. Sounds cool. Well, that's the idea, right? It's, it's really hard to get it to look the way you want it to look. I mean, I didn't know how to edit any video when I started, so... I'm guess the whole thing is like a, a journey of like learning for me as well as as just having fun, you know. I find the poetry side it quite interesting because I was recently arguing with somebody who is a friend of mine and also a poetry student that it was a dead medium, <laughs> uh, and was pretty vociferously argued that back that it wasn't so. This will probably prove me wrong and I'm right. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's hard to say about poetry, man. It's like one of those things. It used to be that you would, you could hold on to poetry, right? You could take it away as like some sort of like, almost a picture that you could pull it. You know what yeah. I mean? To help you like describe a scene or like capture a moment or whatever. But now the use of it has totally changed into like this momentary thing where you like connect in a moment. It's, it's weird. I mean, I don't I don't really know about that. But anyway, so that's that's the whole plan of the show, man. Just like let it develop into whatever it can be. I should tell you, there's, there's, so there's singing or songs mostly, and then it's a, they get a chance to explain themselves. Then there's the tea solo where I have them show the audience how they make a cup of tea. A tea solo. Um, <laughs> I that was that's that's a crucial part of the show actually, man. And then uh, the last section is ten questions. I ask everybody the same ten questions, 
and we just kind of see how the answers vary. You had some terrible cups of tea. I mean, I've had some cups of tea. I've had I had a guest some say questionable cups they of tea. had never made a cup of tea before. Right, and this was a guy like let's say in his early twenties, be like, I've never, and you can look up the episode if you want. I won't name him because I don't want to shame him, but it's there. He claims himself, I've never made a cup of tea before. And I was just thinking, like, how how is that possible? Like, what have you been doing? How what? That's a privileged life on a day to day basis. Like, how are you living your life? Aye. You've never made a cup of tea. Like, under, under the age of fifteen, I was tea slave. Right, totally. You, know you get I mean? made to make tea as a wee guy. Exactly. Like, it was like as soon as you were able enough to hold the teapot, it was. Get a cup of tea, That's make it, a cup right? of tea. If anybody That's came right. in, dragged out the room, make a cup of tea. Right. So I don't understand how anybody could put a pot on for everybody. And usually ah, when you're that man. young as well, you don't even like tea, right? It's like kind of like bit of drink for a wee guy, you're just like, Ugh, nah, no for me. But then you probably by twelve you've developed a taste just for the sheer like force of habit having to make it all the time. Um I despise tea. I'm you not don't like one myself. Don't like don't like tea, coffee. Wow, man. See, that's what that's what the guess is as well. Like, I'm a coffee guy. I don't do tea, but I mean, coffee's taking over everything. So I know I'm I'm with the tea, man. I'm like properly British that way, I guess. Mm. Like old. It's school. a cool format, man. And considering that you do it all by yourself, man, it looks great. Well, I should say, um, season four that we're just finishing off the new. I've had a lot of help, and actually, for seasons two and three, I had um, the wee tartan boot, Lindsay Logue, this amazing photographer, come in. And uh, help me take photographs and stuff, and just make it look really cool. So that had, that was a massive help. Season one, it was literally just me in my spare room in my flat with my friends making a show. And uh, this season, let's say I've got Michael McDade, this videographer, he's a director of photography, and he shot it all in 4K. Looks amazing, but oh man, it's such a nightmare for editing. Like, see when it comes down to it, like um, you've got it's just the files are so much bigger, you know. It's just like it's such a much more time-consuming process. But I think it's going to be worth it. Like when we get it done, it should look amazing. He's that remote L. Technical difficulties. Uh, HDMI cables. Be, so good, mate. Being a dick. So good. Um, but I mean, I would a hundred percent stick a second on um, we talking about. Absolutely fucking amazing photography, especially yeah. for somebody that's doing it for herself. Let's see if you can get that to turn off. Yeah, uh, she is. She's like, she's really got an eye as well for like studio like, photos. Do you know what I mean? Like catching musicians like in the middle of their, their thing or like wee moments. You know, mm-hmm. it's really like it's brilliant. Uh, some of the shots that she's took of the band that I was in, uh, Paradigm Shift, and some of the stuff that she's done for you. Anytime she takes photos, I mean, even when you see like family parties. Mm-hmm. Like their their photos are always amazing. Yeah. Like for darling that, and it's just because and I she's doing it on her own, so you should go and check her out on Instagram. That was we talking, but mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. But I it looks great. It sounds great, man. Mm-hmm. Like if you're That's if cool. it's a, a learning uh, curve, like the the production, you're definitely doing an amazing job. Thank you. I mean, for that, I could say I've probably over compressed it a wee bit. Like this season, I've I've really tried to be. A wee bit more generous with reverb because I've the first two seasons especially I was like no reverb no nothing like you don't get any help but it was what it was in the room and that's it you know what I mean like I was just, like super militant about it no I'm like I would you know a wee bit of reverb all right why not let's let's be nice and like less compression actually and that's just I think it's a beginner's thing like you want it to sound as full and big as you can get it to sound and it loses that dynamic range so it's it's the kind of thing if you're listening to it on a shit speaker it will sound shit. But well, you have to mix mm-hmm. it for good speakers, you know, and uh, so that's what I'm doing now. It's like that's where I'm at. It's pretty cool. So, who are some of the guests you've got coming up in season four? We have uh, Ross Layton, who is the lead singer of Fallison, amazing singer. That's outstanding. Yeah, uh, great band. What a voice that boy's got! Oh, by the way, man, amazing. Seen uh, that uh, clippy uh, old and more uh-huh. where he like walks up the stairs. Right. Uh, like, I know, man. His voice, man. Why they guys, right? Like you could sing the phone book and mm-hmm. you'd listen. You'd buy it as well, like best-selling oh, yeah. album, the fucking A to Z. And that's quite a catch for the, for yeah. the show type thing. Ross is just that nice a guy, like he's such a nice, friendly guy. I just messaged him, he was like, you know, would you be up for this? And he was like, definitely, man, like, let me know when it was out. Yeah, he's, he's like, he's an awesome human being, what can I say, you know? So I was, we had him in, he was great, so friendly, done as a great set, great show. Um, we had Fergus McCready, who uh, is a jazz pianist, just graduated from the RCS, Really, really good man. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm saying this as a piano player. This guy is on like another level. Like, he is just amazing. Like, wow. unbelievably I'll good pianist. If you're saying that, man, no, yeah. this guy, honestly, man, like, it's unbelievable how good this guy is at piano. So he just released his first album, um, and it was like it was easy for to ask him. I was just glad that he came to do it. You know, like he was such an easy choice. I loved that set personally. For me, that was probably my favourite set just because I could geek out over the piano and yeah. of it so much. 
Um, and who else we have? Katie Doyle, who his stage name is Kitty. She's awesome, and um, I don't know if you know who she is. I don't want to. Girl with blonde tail. No, no, she's got black hair, uh, dark brown anyway, and she's it's it's a kind of vintage sound she goes for, you know. Um, I don't want to spoil it by like putting adjectives or, or descriptive words over it, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's amazing. Like you'll see it when you see it. Who else have we had? We had uh, Michael McGovern and Jamie Stark have just started this act. Uh, I think it's called Brother Man, and um, they two do like really kind of folky close harmonies you know they're both really good singers they host the open mic night at block on a sunday night and yeah. um, nice. so either uh, they're, they're super around i'm forgetting somebody where am i at? oh we had melissa kelly and um, and the smoking crows is it the smoking somebody's i feel terrible no knowing the <laughs> name of that uh, you can you can edit that in and put the name in somebody. <laughs> but with melissa kelly and her band and they were amazing they were so good um she was the full band on the flat no, well, it was just the singers, um, and they do do like back and auxiliary percussion and stuff like that. But they were doing really, really nice like three part harmonies, and again, it was kind of a vintagey sound. Oh, this is such a good singer! Like, oh my god, just amazing singing. Um, where am I? Is that four or five? I'm at four. Is that four? So I've definitely forgotten something. Then that's that's terrible. I'm going to feel really good about this when I leave. Let me let me just think about this for a second. I've got Ross, Fergus, Katie. Jamie, Melissa this. Kelly. No, no, I've done it. I've done it. I've done the five. So we've got one to go, and I haven't filmed it yet. So I'm not going to say how it is in case it changes. Well, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Are you just so? How do you release them? Are you doing them episode at a time? Do you just block release them? Uh, I try to do them an episode at a time. I've been thinking about different ways to do it because I don't know. I'm just kind of making it up as I go. Like there's there's a whole other school of promotion, isn't there? And like how to advertise and get the most out of it. Mm. Somebody wants to tell me how to do that. I'd really appreciate it. You can, <laughs> you can send me an email. Um, at the minute, the last time I done it, I done it an episode every four days, and before that it was like an episode one a week. I thought a week was too long, like it was just getting a wee bit too far away. So four days, maybe I'll do one three days. I don't know. It's hard to say. And what's the plans? You were saying that you're you're wanting to expand it. What's the ideas that you've got kicking about? Well, um, this season, the last episode will be Jamie and Michael. Uh, who, as I say, hosted up Mike Night at Block, and so the last episode, they've both done the show before. Jamie was yeah. on season three, Michael's on season mm-hmm. one. So I thought I recognised, did you say Michael McGovern? McGovern. I That's thought I recognised right. the name, so I uh, watched that episode. Uh, both great guys, as I say, been on the show before, but they've, they've joined together now to do this like uh, duo or duet, whatever you want to call it. And um, so basically, I did do the T solo, the 10 questions with them, and I've replaced it with a section called Flat Out, uh, where we go to Block, and you see it like there. We'll probably do more of that. We'll probably go out to venues and maybe festivals or whatever and see what we can see. It's conceivable at some point we will organise a gig of previous guests. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say too much because it, it'll keep changing. Hi, man. Well, that's like we've been really lucky with the guests, especially. I just this season is so tight, you know. Like everybody, they just were so on it, man. Um, like you could have easily sold tickets, you know. Like if you put them on a bill one after the other, it would be an amazing yeah. gig. So, but then I don't know. I mean, there's a long way to go with that. We'll see how it goes. Season cool concept, though, man. If you could put a show in and have like five of the acts that yeah. you've had on the show, it'd be aye, it'd be a good night, definitely. I we might get it there at some point. I mean, we need to wait and see. There's um, you know, we've done it completely unfunded. Nobody's getting paid for anything. None of the artists or um, me, Michael or Lindsay are getting paid for anything. So. We're hoping to develop it into some sort of profitable model in the reasonably near future, but at the minute, we're just, we're all learning, we're all loving it, we're having a good time, and we're all very grateful to the artists for coming in and doing it for free. Absolutely. So you're the same as me, like, you you have it in your flat, basically, Mm -hmm. and you tear the place apart, do you enjoy it? I quite, there's something that I I quite enjoy, I I was thinking about this earlier, there's something that I quite enjoy, like, shifting everything about once a week for some reason. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean about that. I don't know, man. Maybe it's because I'm on so like episode it, thirty or something. Do you know what I think it is? It's when you put it all back together, it's all like know, nice and, that is and nice. tidy. That is and nice. you do that. I mean, normally I wouldn't do that. Do you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, to the extent where it's like yeah. I've made the full room, but because you tear it apart and you put it back together once a week, mm. it's like a fresh room every week, man. I don't know. I was just thinking about that earlier. I was like, I actually enjoy this process. I take the dismantle in the room, putting the podcast together and then putting it back together. I think having it somewhere familiar is quite useful as well, especially when you're sort of talking to folk. Um, is it something that is easier for you to break the ice with people as they come in and do the episodes that you're in your own comfort zone? Do you think it puts them at ease with it? 
I well, I mean, I, I live with my wife, and now I've got we've got a dog as well. Um, so <clears> the last episode actually it was it was a wee bit trickier just because we had the dog running around. I'm I'm the opposite. I don't really. I'm I'm very much a homebody, you know. So I I like my. I've got everything set up the way I like it. And for when it comes to filming the episodes, I, I completely change everything. And I'm quite an easily stressed out person anyway, you know. So by the time the guests arrive, usually I, I'm you know I've got a cup of tea and I'm like yeah no everything's fine. But by the end of the episode, I'm I'm like right I'm ready to have my living room back and and sit down and, and be cozy just because I'm like that you know that's the way I am like it's it's weird I know what you mean about putting it back it's a very like okay it's you know it's done like but um the tearing it apart part I'm always like sorry darling just you know I'm gonna set up a studio in the living room for the next day so <laughs> I'll be fine I suppose it's key questions what do the neighbors have to say about that they actually have been really nice in the silence um, and I'm hoping they don't see this and, and start Long to get ideas. Right, <laughs> I, uh, I haven't set up any drum kits yet, so you know those those. Aye, aye. There's been a wee bit of compromise on both sides. They may not appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll see. if you if you considered that like the tenement TV type thing where you get the full band in and um, tenement TV can I do their own thing, man? Like I I don't really I appreciate what they're doing with the band. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to set that up in my house. Um, because just the practicality, like I live there, my neighbours all live there. It's actually a really nice, quiet street. Um, I would one day like to have maybe a premises, like a studio, where I could do my work yeah. and then invite my friends around to record, at which point I would definitely set up a drum kit. Yeah. Um, but that'll be, if it's happening at all, a few years away, yeah. And if that does happen, I'll probably move flat to right into that studio. Mm-hmm. I just set it up, like, have uh, it just fully set up, man. I'd actually love to have a place that doubled as, like, you know, the live room is also, like, a, a production room, you know, like, a, a TV production room or, like, a YouTube production room, man, mm-hmm. where you could, like, really go full out on whatever yeah, you were trying to do, man. Like, I knew a, a boy, whatever. Glenn, uh, an Irish guy, uh, Glenn Maloney, I think his name was, he worked to me in Virgin Megastore, and he told me, and this was, like, 2003, he'd said to me that his plan was to turn the attic and his flat into a studio and have people come in and do gigs and just have it all set up and he's like, we'll just have all my gear and we'll, we'll just live stream gigs, so we'll just get bands in and this was this guy's goal but he moved back to Ireland before he'd ever got yeah. to it but quite a forward, I mean, back then to be, to be thinking of that type of thing but, Aye, man, totally. um, There are a few people out there that have done something quite similar but mm-hmm. remember the, the Foo Fighters, don't know if you've ever seen the, the they played their album live at the end of, when they did their biopic. They did their like their, their biography. You might have seen it in the pictures. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, they did the album start to finish live and it was in just like a studio with yeah, just like a camera set up. It was like his garage yeah, I, yeah. and it was fucking it was amazing. A, yeah. Absolutely outstanding. garage and we went it back to him and it's actually, that was the whole, like they wanted to go back to like they were teenage boys mm-hmm. jamming in the garage and stuff like that. So they went, right, let's just convert a garage. Oh, and just record, but aye, they did that. I think there's definitely space for something. I think that what you're doing is quite unique, and I, I mean, like, there's one other that I've just named, like Tenement TV, mm-hmm. and they're like the main. They're they're doing it. They've managed to get it into the profit zone, mm-hmm. but apart from them, you're the only one. And I think there's in that space, like, it's definitely like a very unique idea especially with the sort of broad range of artists that you're doing it with I quite like that you're keeping it local as well yeah. you're not trying to like branch out get like touring acts and stuff like mm-hmm. that oh well I mean I wouldn't have turned it down if they were to approach me and say can we do the show man like definitely uh, it's it's a space for MD who wants it really but in terms of me going out and finding guests I want it to be people that are about that because we're so lucky man like in Glasgow there are literally so many talented people we take it for granted actually like how good the scene is Every second pub in the city centre's got a band on on a Friday and a Saturday night. You know right. I mean? They're maybe not always necessarily great. Well, every like third you know or fourth I mean? band is, is a pretty tight group and they, they know what they're doing. You a know? lot of folk putting a lot of themselves in it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it, man. That's it. And it, it's to be respected, you know. Um, and there aren't enough platforms for artists, like any kind of artist, whether it be jazz, classical, or popular music, man. Like, it's just, it's, if you're starting below like you know you've got a team of people working behind you to promote you and your album's coming out and all that if you're starting if you try to get to that point there's really very little like done here to help you get work your way up you know Aye, yeah. definitely i it's like almost just nothing mm-hmm. until you're something mm-hmm. and then you get all that you get everything and but i when you're below that um i don't envy people i mean like even when i was doing gigs in the music scene and stuff and we did a few gigs together mm-hmm. i was thinking about right. that the other night yeah. actually and I was thinking, like, 
what a fucking run you got, by the way. Because you you played three ampersand shows. You played a sold-out gig at Sleazy's, a sold-out gig at Tuts, mm-hmm. and a sold-out gig at the Barfly. I see, see that point in time on the Glasgow music scene, and I enjoyed like, it as well. It was a great time. Aye, some, some, aye, that was, it, like, was like a really good point in time. Seventeen like, or something at that point, I think. I think aye, because I can remember p- people asking questions in Barfly. May have been eighteen. Let's say I was eighteen. Um, I think I was about seventeen and eighteen aye. anyway. I think you had your birthday when you were like jamming ways and stuff like that. Aye, probably. Something um, like that. But aye, it was, I was thinking that the other night. I was thinking, what gigs was it he played? And I was like, fucking hell, man. Three, three, probably three of the best gigs that we that we did in Glasgow, like, ah, and that and run about that time. But um, how so? How do you like survive as a like, a modern day musician? I'm really lucky in that I can do piano bar gigs. Um, mm-hmm. So I just let I play and sing for three hours in exchange for money, um, and that's it. That's how I pay my bills, man. So I keep myself solvent. If something else comes up, I'm quite lucky. Like I'll get other projects here and there. That's that always supplements the income, but ultimately, I can I'm reasonably comfortable. I don't live a luxurious lifestyle, but you know the bills are paid, and I can have a wee bit of fun. Yeah, just by playing piano at night. Um, I'll say this: I don't want to be doing that when I'm fifty. It's really depressing. Like you think, you know, it might sound glamorous. It's not, man. Like you're leaving the pub at two in the morning, and there's like fifteen drunk people all staring into their glasses. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like. Uh, at some point I'd like to be doing something else you know I'd like to like maybe wake up in the morning and do some work as opposed to starting at 10 at night you know mm. I can imagine like I was just, that was going to be my I, question I don't think they work any better <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. it just depends on the day work that you uh, do yeah, like, like, if you were running your own studio man recording uh, like good bands that you wanted to record that would be a pretty no, decent absolutely. job well that's is that something that you would be I'd wake up early for that right? uh, start your own studio uh, and the I mean, there used to be tons and tons of studios kicking about, mm-hmm. and now they're. I mean, I don't even even know that many anymore. I mean, there's. Uh, oh, there's good studios around, the, man. The uh, guy in Abercrombie Street's doing is it uh, 40, 45A Records or something? 45 like? Aside, I think that's so, called. Yeah, that, right. that, that guy's recording studios an absolute belter. Oh, that's a belter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they used to be here, there, everywhere, like you could. Like recording studios that used to be Urban Studios didn't it like way way back when that was the first studio I was ever in that was the first studio like I ever went to man when I was like 15 or something and it was was just like over it was just on the board incredibly glamorous Simon 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 man Simon was probably everybody loves Simon (laughs) right (laughs) it was like this monk of love apart from Davey David I fucking hated didn't him, but like it that's because he had to pay with the end of the was. Alcoholic. <laughs> he was an alcoholic. It was good for a band. If you're in a band and you're going up to a recording studio and he's sitting there having a laugh, he was brilliant. But uh, I think if you had to be his boss, it'd be a bit of a fucking nightmare. Well, I, mean, I only really dealt with him as a wee guy being like, oh man, you're amazing. This is so amazing. Like, this is a record. You're a recording studio. Oh my God. Um, so I, man, like, but I still have very fond memories of that place because of that. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's really where my recording career started, if I can be that fucking pretentious but uh, I no there are really good studios my favourite studio in Glasgow is Gorble Sounds do you know Gorble Sounds aye it's a belt it's too mm-hmm. expensive to go it, to though that's, right? that's, it's that's an what I was going to say but aye. it's an ornament in Glasgow just because of the price to get in man I mean I'm sure they would do you a deal if you were like 19 trying to get in on like, a Sunday night or something but um, I that's the problem right see like if you want the gear like the quarter of a million pound desk and like the fucking eight grand preamp and all that how are you ever supposed to afford to do that if you're just yeah. Unless you're already, like I say, an established act with money and a team and all right. that kind of stuff behind You've you. You've like, somebody here, that's known. You're never affording that stuff into that studio. Technology right? kills, I think that, that aye, technology's killed a lot of these sort of like low to mid-range recording studios where you had to, I mean, when I first went to a recording studio, the idea of like turning on, plugging in, recording, there was just like absolutely no chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just sitting demoing on your phone is sufficient sometimes just to get a demo done, get a track, but I think that technology's killed that sort of low-end recording studio. It's mm. that, I mean, aye, Gorbel Sound... Well, that's like that's, that's it. That's what I'm saying. Like, aye, people, you can you can get a, a high-quality recording out of a, a MacBook that would cost you maybe like two grand. Mm-hmm. And if you invest that two grand, but you're probably talking, say, that Gorbel Sound's probably going to cost you a grand a track. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not even sure to be honest with you, but um, it's definitely it's a kind of it's 
diminishing returns at a point in it. Like depending on how much you're going to make after selling your album to your pals, how much money can you realistically afford to spend on a studio? Yeah. And if you can do it yourself in the house, okay, it's not going to sound as good as if you go to Global Sounds or another a great studio like that. But you're going to get a lot more back for your money, right? Like you buy a laptop for two grand and make six albums with. You know what I mean? Or you can spend two grand and make half an album or whatever an album. That's it, definitely. I, I always say to people that ask about like what what interface should I get, what MacBook, whatever. I just say, look, fucking people have recorded high quality albums on an iPhone. You don't need that. Like, if you want it, go and get it. But mm-hmm. you don't need it if you think that that's going to spark the inspiration in you to be better or whatever or work mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to happen. It's tricky, and it? I think the more you do it, the more you, you crave the sort of refined sound, right? Because you're always looking to improve and, and like creative. It's your creative process you can work on and all that. But really, when you wake up and you're going to choose between like an A and a B flat, like it's just a subjective choice. So that will change every day. And there's no like, oh, that's it. I've made it. Every morning I wake up, I will create amazing music because it's just whatever you feel like you'll make, right? So you can work on audio in a way that you can really work on music. You know, you can refine the sound to the point where you're like, right, that sounds, that's exactly how that should sound. Like that microphone and that preamp on that instrument, that's how I do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And every producer, I think, has their own journey in that way. Like you develop your own relationships with equipment and how to get the right sound. Aye. Do you think that you would have a, an advantage because you're an amazing musician? No, even just Thank like you. a, like, like you get guys that are, great musicians or like I would consider a good musician do you know what I mean like Richie I would consider a good musician mm-hmm. but guys like you when you play it's, it's like like you were saying about that guy earlier on for me you're on the, another level so if that guy's on another level for you it's like I don't even want to hear him play <laughs> I don't <laughs> even think either, I would man. understand it's that it's depressing you're just like oh god my goodness. but do you think that that's something that's um, I think that the past like three or four guys that I've been in studios with have been technicians mm-hmm. they've not been musicians and I, maybe even only once I've been in with a proper good musician. And when I was in with that guy, I felt like he brung something to the, the project rather than just like, right, guys, with these what I do here, right, go and do it. He was actually like suggesting stuff and hearing things in the music that we weren't listen, we listening out for. Do you think that would give you an advantage? Because I think that for me, if I knew that you were a, an amazing musician, which I do, I would be like dying to work with you. In like a recording studio Thanks, setting, man, do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, I, 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 think, I don't know. There's different skills, really, right? It's to, because I think of music very musically, or at least I always have done. And recently when I've been working on production, I've been trying to think of it the way producers or engineers will think about it, which is in terms of frequency range. And it's a really hard thing to do. Like, I'm listening to it going like, oh, that flutes, you know, it's too loud or whatever. And they're like, oh, there's too much at 18, you know, there's too much at like 16. They're thinking about it in like EQ number terms, and I'm thinking about it in terms of notes. So there's, there has to be a balance in there. And I think there's room for both, man. Like, you could look at, like, the Beatles' George Martin, you know what I mean? Like, that guy, without his musical knowledge and ability to arrange and all that kind of yeah. stuff, the Beatles wouldn't have been as good, right? So he definitely, like, having the musical ability there has definitely allowed him to just add so much to those recordings. But at the same time, you can look at a lot of other bands um, that it's just, it's the sonic sound that they're after, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's no so much about the arrangement, but, like, the sound of the album. Like, Las Vegas is a good example of that. Like, their first album is just soaking wet and reverb, and it's all just this, like, bad, giant cathedral guitar sound. That's, like, I don't know if you could call that musical arrangement as much as, it's like, production. You've thought yeah. about that and just went, I want this to be, like, you know what I mean? Like, massive. Yeah. Um, aye, so you th- I think that a good mix of both, definitely, but I think that... that like I what I was saying, there's been a shift towards the more sort of technical side. Like you're saying, like more engineers, less sort of less less musicians, I suppose, that are working in sort of recording studios and stuff. But um I like the Glasgow music scene, like for you do you do you work in the music scene other than like the piano bars? Um, well I try man I mean like anything it's it's a cliquey business right like you have your friends and other people have their friends and you all kind of work together but I'd say that I'm, I try to be friendly and I, I would work with anybody that, that would be wanting to work with me and some people I mean unfortunately I, I would charge you know but I would work with them like it's just the way it You've is got to pay the bills, it's just the way right? it is man right like I'm a professional um, so I, I I guess it's, I, I, I try to keep myself about as much as I can like I've it's, it's weird, man. Like, flat to right, I can invite people in on that. I can say to them, like, come on in and do this. And in that sense, I can connect with the community. But in other ways, I need the community to invite me to go and connect with them. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's, it has to be a two-way street. I think in the build-up to this, I read on your sort of 
Facebook, social media that you've been involved in? Is it the Sloan's Opera? That's right. Aye, no, that's right. Noise. That uh, aye, well, I was commissioned by Noise, new opera in Scotland events, great company, um, supporting young composers. Uh, they asked me to write a 15-minute opera about PrEP, which is a thing that Scotland have just made. It's a drug um, that prevents HIV that Scotland have just made free on the NHS. So basically, if you take PrEP and then have unprotected sex with someone who has the virus, you won't you basically won't catch I think it's like 96% effective or something like this okay. um, so it's amazing like it's absolutely amazing this this like breakthrough in technology obviously of prevention um, and they wanted to celebrate it uh, so Jenny Knotts this amazing librettist wrote this really lyrical libretto and sent it over to me and I wrote the music and that was good ran for a week in Sloan's I think it went well like I really enjoyed the whole process of watching these amazing um, performers take because like, when you write it you know I was scoring it which I hadn't done for years actually since I, I left uni but um, when you're scoring it and then you look at it and you're like oh, that'll probably work but I, I don't know and then you, you see them like taking it off the page and turning it into an opera man it's, it's magical like, it's an awesome experience mm-hmm. right so and then I got to watch it being performed for a week in front of audiences like, it, was, it was an awesome time and they paid me for it do you know what I mean <laughs> it's sick it's so amazing like when it goes right it's like it goes so right um, yeah, I had an absolutely amazing time, and I'm I'm very uh, grateful to Noise for the for commissioning me to mm-hmm. do that. That that's a I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to try and score something and I, try and I'm hear it. I'm by the notion of a 15 minute opera about AIDS. Um, just, well, I should explain that it. Would, it wasn't a concept that just daunt me. I think. The libretto was very like lyrical. It was very poetic. It was sort of an untraditional libretto. Like normally you'd look at characters in a place and like a, a narrative that mm-hmm. has like a beginning and end. But it wasn't like that. It was more like a poem, and it was these unnamed characters in this unnamed place that were speaking in no clear conversations to each other, but in very like poetic phrases, yeah. almost to themselves, but at the same time with each other. Yeah. And it was it was called Love Speaks. I, I, I'm actually not sure who came up with the title. It was not me. No, that I don't like it. It's just that it's 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 sort of um, it was more complicated than that, right? It was like mm-hmm. these people are, are, are trying to connect um, in this sort of very strange way. Do you know what I mean? Like musically strange and like and lyrically abstract. strange. Aye, very abstract is, is a good way to put it. And um, yeah, by the end they, they sort of get together and they have been able. Like the point is, prep has enabled them. To, to get together, you know, it's, it's freed them to be less anxious about, you know, is this person infected, do I need to be careful, whatever. They can just, they're free to go and allow love to so do what it's doing. something that's explicitly for like, the developing world? Is that something that where, you know, they're going to try and use as a preventative measure? I mean, I would certainly hope so. Yeah, we done a quick Q and A about it. Um, it's, I'm in no way an expert, but I know there are people who are like expert in this field who are like thinking it could really help us to eradicate the AIDS virus eventually, um, if we can use it in places like Africa, but also in developed countries. There's no reason why people who are wanting to have a, a, a free sex life can't can't make sure that they're protected. Okay, it's funny that we've not held anything about that. There you go. I must have been just sleepwalking my way through that one. Um, but how do you find working by yourself as a musician? Um, I, I, I need a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever really worked on anything by myself. And I, th- I was thinking about this question. So it's something that intrigues me, um, especially with like thinking about like mental health and how do you keep yourself sort of fresh and motivated. But how do you find working by yourself? Well, I mean, I don't always, uh, sometimes, you know, I definitely have parts where I'm like, I'm less productive and less motivated just because it's easy to get on top of yourself as well, you know. Um, if you're your own boss and like you've set a goal that's up here and you don't, you're constantly trying to reach it, but I mean like way, way up there. So it's like in 10 years I'll be there, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It can be hard to be, um, like to take the day to day in perspective of that, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you can feel like you're nowhere or you're gone nowhere and that can be a it's a difficult thing to manage. I'm very lucky in that I'm I'm married and I love my wife very much. We've got a great relationship. So every day I have, you know, human contact. Like I'm I never isolated to the extent I have seen myself when Claire's like in Germany visiting her mum and dad. Not so much in the last couple of years, but way back when we were first dating, I've seen myself going to a place where I would work for eighteen hours and like forget to eat. And, you know, just, like, completely, like, shut the world off and then go to bed, wake up and do it again, you know what I mean? And then Cloud would come back and she'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get get your shit together, you know what I mean? And so it's really important to have, like, a... 
if you're going to work like that by yourself, it's really important to have somebody that you can that can keep you in check that way. You know what I mean? Even if you're just mirroring yourself in their eyes, do you know what I mean? Like you will you'll keep an eye on yourself for their benefit because yeah. you don't want to keep you connected to the outside world. Exactly. Nah. Exactly. Claire's she sings, is that right? She's a soprano, yep. In fact she's done flat too, right? You can check it out. Um I she's a, a great soprano singer. Uh she does a lot of different stuff. Um I, I, it's all in flat to right actually I won't I won't even because I'll never get it all right and I don't want to get in trouble when I go home so. I'll post links to yeah. flat to right yeah. in the in the comment section anyway so um I it was so what, what about like your actual music so uh, working with other people is was thinking more along the lines of like bouncing ideals off of people and then getting sort of like positive feedback so that you're like no I need to keep going with this because I know that for personal experience if I just sit with myself and try and write music, or even being expressive in any way. I mean that, and like writing. I know that you write a blog, and um, how do you? So I would always just doubt myself. I would never put anything up. Definitely. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> if I was just to I sit by myself and make all the decisions. I failed attempt to write a book in my twenties that pretty much dropped me off the deep end. So I, it's, it was not that. And again, that was on mine. I think that's something that maybe I should have been more volunteer work with other people on at the time um, so I I mean well, I don't really have an you should see the amount of stuff that I don't release right like 95% of what I do doesn't see the light of day but that's I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing like 95% of what you do will be shite mm-hmm. um, so you need to come to terms with that as well don't I, you if you're going to I, do anything and actually it's upsetting because you'll release something and then it depends how good it is how long it will take you to think it's shite right like see if it's <laughs> see if it's see if it's only a wee bit good and you've only just convinced yourself like in two days you'll look at it and you'll go fashion and release that was that then I'll just delete it right and if you think it's really good you'll maybe get two months maybe a year and, and then you'll look at it and you'll go oh no that was shit yeah so I, mean, d- I stumbled across None you go. the old blog uh, we were talking about setting up a, a kind of sister blog for this where maybe guests can contribute content and stuff like that over the weeks. Because um, we have a few guests that you know enjoy the writing process, mm-hmm. and part of that was that I stumbled across it, and I've I've not brought the courage up to read any of it yet because you know you're talking two months. This has been maybe like ten years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the doubt is there. I had, well, I surprised myself. Like I I I go back and listen sometimes to yeah. like music, and I I find that it's better now mm-hmm. than what I thought it was then. It can go full circle that way, I think. I it can go that way, or you, not that you say you need to think it's rubbish, but just if you take a long enough break, and it's the same way if you know if you over listen to a tune, right, mm-hmm. and you go oh, I love this song, and then you listen to it a hundred times, and you hang on, oh, shit, fuck it, I don't want to hear it anymore. Then you get five years and you hear it again. You go, that song's fucking brilliant. Why did I stop listening to that for? It's going that way. I think it's the same thing. Like you, you, because you're in music, you're going to listen to it, right? So you do your mix and you think, oh, that's fucking brilliant. I love it. You're listening to it for six months and you go, all right, man, I've kind of heard it now. I don't want to hear it. And then you wait five years and you listen to it again. You go, that mix is fucking brilliant, man. Do you know what I mean? Aye. I don't think I ever listened to anything the first time and thought I love it. Really? I always sat and went. You were always pretty happy. Aye. I don't. Just the way I'm built. Mm-hmm. I'm just always go. Don't like it. <laughs> the amount of times that we would sit, we'd always go to the motor to listen to demos because it's like speakers. Aye, the shit speakers. How's it going to sound? I don't know where that came from. Probably a movie or some fucking bullshit. But we sit in the motor, and the amount of times everyone would be like, "Happy, happy, happy," and I'd just be like, "Nah." <laughs> something about it. There's always, there's always something. I think that is like one of the weird things about music is, is that you've got an idea in your head how it's going to sound. I mean, it doesn't sound like that. You're almost disappointed, but that idea, that sound in your head's almost like doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You're just you're pushing for something that just. Well, it depends, man. I mean, it kind of does. Like the whole point of uh, composition and scoring is to listen to your. Well, it depends what your technique is, right? But for me, it's to listen to your inner ear. Um, so, like, if you think of like say an opera or whatever, like if I was to ask you to write an opera and you were to shut your eyes and imagine the the cast walking on stage. And beginning their first tune, right? You would imagine that with a certain sound on it. You'd go, I it would sound like this. And then scoring it, you would go, right, well, that's what I'm hearing in my head, that's what it sounds like. And then obviously you don't get that, unless you're amazing, you don't get that exactly right. You hear it back and you go, oh, I'll get these notes wrong and this bit's not right. And you just adjust it for there until hopefully you get to a point where it's exactly what you want, you know what I mean? Mm. I don't think I ever got good enough at doing that. Well, get, getting it, late, getting it for the sound that you want in your head and trying, like, um, Try try to make something that sounds like what you've got in your head. I don't think I've ever got good enough at that. Maybe that's 
That was my thing. Anyway. So you're saying like 95% of your stuff doesn't see the light of day. Mm-hmm. So would you think that the secrets just work? I, I mean, that's definitely been a big one for me because there's been periods all through my 20s where I would I would work really intensely, but then there was also periods where I just wouldn't, you know, I would be away partying or doing whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'd say probably about 28 or 29, I was like, right, no, I'm going to just be really consistent about this now and every day I'm going to work. And I've been doing that since, you know, like I wake up in the morning and I get to work and that's it. I don't take days off ever. It's amazing. So that's the, <laughs> that's the, that, how do you motivate yourself to do that? I feel like uh, I sh- I want I it's it's weird man like um, I believe I can get to like here right and the only thing that's go- keeping me here right now is like a lack of having done the work like if I had started what I'm doing now at twenty maybe I would already be there or a lot closer to there um, and so I, get I, that feeling all the time. I feel like I'm guilty I almost owe it to myself that I need to do this work yeah. now because I've let myself down by no doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. And so I don't. I can't have a day off because I'm already so far behind that I need to just keep going. You know what I, mean? I think that that attitude can always go one or two ways, can't it? It can either you get people that are relentless with their work, like it sounds like yourself. Don't take days off. Just like I need to get better. But then you get people where the mountain that they've put in front of themselves sort of um, demotivates them. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't even want to take the first step. Do you know what I mean? That's what's so interesting about that 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 attitude that you've got is the thing that drives you, and that's like awesome, man, and like more power to you because do you know what I mean? You clearly put the work in, mm-hmm. but that exact same attitude to somebody else can make them know what I did at all. Run as far away from it gives them sort of like anxiety even thinking about doing it. I totally know what you mean. Like starting anything new is is really intimidating, right? Like if you if you know you're going to be shite at something then the first time, you don't want to do it the first time, you're like, I'm going to be shite at this, right? And it's like, I was a bit like that with video editing, right? I didn't want to start really learning to video edit because it was like, I don't know how to do it, I don't even know where to start learning how to do it. So it's like, it puts me off beginning, right? The first step's the hardest, but then once you've started doing it and you kind of know roughly how to throw it together, you, then it's it's like a journey of improvement at that point, right? And it's, I don't know, man, I guess it's like, it's a fear, it's an ego thing, isn't it? You want to be good at everything. And being shit at something is, is no what you want to be, so you won't do it. But you have to be shit to get good. For sure. That's I mean, I'd started doing martial arts about six, seven months ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Wait, August, nine months ago now. Um and I f- that was a process of like relearning how to be shit at something. Mm-hmm. And s- because I would come away from the classes and just be like, How am I no good at this? I've been gone for like four weeks. Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> getting annoyed at myself for getting tagged off a guy that's been doing it for ten years, and then you just—it's humbling. It's been something that's really changed my attitude. I've got to say, like, I don't fear anything now. If you, if that makes sense, because I know I'm going to be shite at it, mm-hmm. but I know if I keep doing it, I'll be better. That's it. So that's what motivates me. That's more mm-hmm. like the sort of like the the baby steps that I get. So like the the you were saying earlier about like the ten year plan, and then. Making it relative day to day. I enjoy the baby steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that the challenge comes in actually just making them and so that you can know what's next and like that sort of like mm-hmm. next step. Um, like myself, you're a, a bit of an advocate for weed. Absolutely, man. Legalisation of weed, right? Definitely. So, what's your feelings on the latest sort of well, uh, sceptical? I'm, I'm sceptical that it will happen in the UK anytime soon. Even though we supply medical cannabis to whatever, half of Europe or whatever it is, like we're one of the biggest suppliers of medical yep. cannabis. So you know that the government are happy. The is that right? Bigger so, than, well, well, one of the biggest importers, I think. That's, that's amazing, right? So you know the government are happy to profit off it. Um, and so you would need to assume it's a public health concern, right? Like we, the people can't have it. But then you look around the world now and it's getting legalised loads of different yep. places, like more places than I can name at the minute. And the difference uh, is making to those local economies where it is. Uh-huh. Tax, do- tax money. Recreationally yeah. and medicinally is unreal. I, I don't see it happening in the UK anytime soon because we are so conservative in our ways, um, especially yeah. Scotland, as much as we might not like to admit it. I mean, we've gotten we've become a more liberal country in the last, let's say, 10, maybe 15 years, but we're still deeply conservative, actually, in, in our views about a lot of stuff. And I think weed will be one of those things. Same in England and, and Wales. I don't see it in Northern Ireland. I don't see it happening anytime soon. So I could. I actually think it will be like France, Germany, yeah. everywhere, Belgium. They'll all legalise weed, and we'll be like the the, the one place that has it. <laughs> so 
there is a, it does feel as though there's a groundswell as it spreads across places like the Americas mm-hmm. and, and not Europe and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm kind of with you that I think that there's a, a puritanical kind of undercurrent to mm-hmm. you know British society that just probably won't allow it. And I was saying prior to the show the day that I, I can't see a universe in which the Tories deliver it. You mm. know what I mean? Like, so can I, you imagine that? I, what Tory Prime Minister will, will uh, what would they look like? Probably Boris Johnson. I can ah. imagine Boris being like your guys spark up. Right enough. Like, you know, right enough. Like, but if it was going to be him, it would need to be Boris, uh, right? In the yeah. hope that he would get away with his absolute nonsense that he does yeah. on a daily basis. Like, uh, um, but he might, he might get away with it. So if you're Boris, <clears throat> man, like that's a decent tactic. Like I'll legalise weed and then I'll just do what I want, right? Uh, do you not think that the profit motive <laughs> might push it through? It depends how bad economically things get, right? Like at the minute, I don't think there's any economic argument for it I mean there is an economic argument and it's money thrown away like you're, put, you're throwing money in the black market and mm-hmm. you're making yeah. people who like millions and millions and millions a month get but through into that, this black right? hole they know that and it's the system that's been running for a long time now it's like I don't know man I, I, I really don't know I think if they had wanted to do that if that was their concern like oh we're losing all this money in the black market they did that a long time ago yeah. right? the, the, I seen an interesting interview with an American guy that said that um, he was on BBC maybe BBC's something mainstream anyway and they were asking him and he said it's a matter of time because as soon as the lobbyists get behind that that's it yeah he was saying that and pretty much saying that none of your politicians have got any values and they don't care about this and that he said that as soon as the big money gets into it and he said it's already started to happen in America where like they're, they're starting to sell smoking accessories at Walmart and these types of mm-hmm, things that's mm-hmm. starting to creep into the sort of supermarket culture they've got in America and they said as soon as the lobbies get behind it that'll be it every one of your politicians will just fall one by one yeah. and, and, he's like, and it'll be big money but that, that actually scares me I would rather it stayed illegal than it went um, like I actually would rather that it stayed would I? I would I'd rather that it stayed illegal then it came out like this sort of just making billionaires richer. Mm. Because be, when it gets legalised, it's going to be by big farmers when, and companies. Yeah, when it happened in America, there was like you know, a few new millionaires that came up that were like um, guys that were just growing it anyway, and then they started growing it on a bigger scale and they made a bit of money. And I'd like that to happen. I wouldn't like it to just be, well, it's Tesco selling weed now, so you just go down and you buy it for Tesco. I mean, I'd take or, it. I'd take it. I mean, oh, I would definitely take it because I take it the new and it's fucking someday after. You know what I mean? Like, like, if, it, if that's the way it gets legalised in the corporate sense is the way it's going to happen, which seems completely logical, obviously, then I would take that. You know, it's, uh, fair enough, it would be nice if, if the people who are all growing weed illegally right now could, could turn it into a profitable business. That's a very reasonable thing to do. Um, These big companies can just big foot them back and just push them. Well, that's it, law, right? That's know, it. Right? You would need. You could maybe make it law. You know, like you could try to make it anti-monopoly, so or whatever. But see, to be honest, the demand like, weed, like cause one, everybody needs to chill. But see, to be honest, man, the demand in the places that they've legalised that has way outstripped what they expected. Like near enough, everybody's happened. So yeah. you'd be look. You'd need. You'd need giant factories. You know what I mean to supply the amount of people Absolutely. that would be looking for it. So. The research that goes alongside it as well has been hampered in the UK because we look at the recent cases of the the mother who was going through customs and they wouldn't let mm-hmm. you know, through a the CBD, it was quite high strength CBD oil for son's epilepsy and this is one of the things that sparked mm-hmm. this sort of level of debate in recent weeks mm-hmm. and so it's not even just about you know, the, the black market or criminalisation, it, it works and should work across you know, multiple facets of society, you know I mean? it just doesn't make any sense to me why we don't do it other than puritanical values I, I think that's what it is, I think because it's been illegal long enough now, it's seen as, you know, it, it should be illegal, you don't question something that's that's just the status quo, right, or know everything, um, and there's it's strange because there seems to be two schools of thought, which is people who are like, no, of course it's, it's going to be fine, we can legalise it, and look at the other places, they're all fine, and then there's people who are like, no, that's like opening the door to criminals to make money and all this. So. It's this, what I find fascinating about it is that the argument, they make arguments against statistics, mm-hmm. so that we've got all the, well, we don't have it all, but we've got a fair amount of data now based on the legalisation that's happened even in places closer to home like Portugal, yep. um, and they decriminalised, and um, all, all the statistics that are coming out of America 
and they still still make the same arguments here. And you're like, how can you argue against facts? They're telling you that the use in teenagers goes down yeah. when you start to regulate it. But they still go, we're, we're scared that our te- it's going to send all teenagers do are they? afraid to go to Tesco's and buy it, you know what I mean, or Walmart and buy it, you know what I mean? Like, become like the old top shelf magazines that they do want to go to the counter. I think that it will become legal. Eventually, I think that I anything that happens in America happens pretty much everywhere in the, the I don't, West. I don't see any time soon, but I think inevitably it will happen. Um, simply because it's like you say, the tide, the spell seems to be gone in, in that way. I think we'll be one of the very last countries in the world yeah. to do it. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's just the way it is. It's just the way do you I think, think an independent Scotland would have done it? Well, I think we get more chance in an independent Scotland. Although again, I'm not hundred percent on Scotland's liberal credentials, man. I know we all like to believe we're a super like socialist liberal bunch. The SNP passed a motion at a recent party conference in favour of medicinal uh-huh. marijuana that then literally didn't sort of pan out in legislation because of you know minority government or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was something that they've they've touched on in terms of the SNP. Um, but again, I don't think they expected it to ever the distance when they did I think it was a headline they were after really. I'm not sure what the legality is if we could legalise it in the Scottish Parliament and have it be mm-hmm. sold in Scotland I'd like to believe we could that'd be awesome and you could make an excellent argument for it the new which is well the budget is getting cut we need to raise new tax money and this is a perfect way to do it however you would imagine England or Westminster would object to that on the basis that it's like well we're going to not only are we going to sell, make a fortune in tax, but we're going to have tourists, you know, weed tourists coming up from England across the border buying their weed and going back. So, I mean, the economic argument for that right now, like Scotland having it legal and England not having it legal, is stronger than just legalising it across the UK from Scotland's point of view. Yeah. So you can say you're missing a trick by no doing it. However, I don't think it's it's going to happen anytime soon. Fair enough. That's it. Um, so what, what makes you think that Scotland is now as liberal as what we, as what we think? Just Do you think that we've... Was it, was it more historical rather than um, historical, but also like the status quo the way it is, man? Like you know the amount of uh, orange walks like we have every year. I don't see how you can justify that. I, I just don't see how you can justify that to be honest with you. Against let's say no having a St Paddy's Day parade, right? You say can we have a St Paddy's Day parade that might incite violence? We can, however, have a thousand plus orange walks a year and uh, pay for it. And I. Things like that. Now that's just one example. You could here's a good example. Here's a perfect example. Scotland didn't, and this is historical. Scotland didn't legalize homosexuality until 1980 or 81. Can't remember the exact year. England done it in like 67. So that shows you like we've got a mere, let's say, waspy, you know, white Anglo-Saxon ah, Protestant, like very yeah. stuck. Like this is how it has to be. Yeah. Why? What was? What was it? it took us like 13 years longer to do that. I would argue it's a much more conservative for want of a better term I don't mean Tory but like conservative in terms yeah. of social values Aye, I think approach. pre and post Thatcher Scotland are almost two different places mm-hmm. and I only learned about that very recently mm-hmm. um, the, the de-industrialisation mm-hmm. uh, like Scotland yeah, I, it was just like catastrophic and I think it's pushed so many people into the working class that I think that it has changed, but that's interesting. I don't even I don't even know that about, about Scotland and mm-hmm. homosexuality. And, um, I think that that the the bubble that was created by twenty fourteen and the Yes movement made me feel like we were a more progressive liberal. And it, there was there was a couple of years there where the sort of um, for wanted a better sort of way of putting it, the sort of more Protestant like the west of Scotland. Yeah, that that sort of culture was kind of like in the in the sort of shadows, but now it seems to have come back with a vengeance. Especially the last two years, I've felt that 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 kind of people like active actively supporting a priest getting spat on or whatever it happened. At the, do you know what I mean on social Aye. media? And um, I I mean I think. Uh, it sort of shone a light on what was there, right? I do believe there's a lot of people in Scotland that are very liberal and socialist-minded and, yeah. you know, very seeking egalitarian society, but everybody can get a chance. Mm-hmm. No prejudices of any kind. This is the thing, I mean, I, I, and even in just in terms of the Orange Walk, I, I don't necessarily think they should be off the streets. Um, I think that they have a, a right to expression, same mm-hmm. as the Paddy's guys. Like, there is obviously a level of responsibility. I, I would have them in parks, marching mm-hmm. around in circles to their heart's content and mm-hmm. no bother in the rest of the world. I'd have them pay their own costs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'd um, support that. See if they wanted to pay their own protection. 
I'd be off for it. I think just coming through the Liberal side, I think you know you need to watch about you know, starting down on free expression, you know what I mean? Where does it start, where does it stop? Just because what they're saying is something that we don't like and that's I think I, I that don't like it in any way, shape or form. Me but neither, but at the same time, I think you're spot on there. Like if you can afford if it if it self sustains and you want to do it, mm-hmm. go for it. But why do why do we pay X amount a million pounds every couple of years to the problem isn't so much with the orange I mean I have no problem with Protestants or, or no. not no. necessarily in itself with orangeness although I do know a lot of people who use that as a vehicle for their bigotry mm. right and I would like to see that made addressed by the orange community who I know are no bigoted at, at their core like at their, you know no. they're good people who just have their own community that said it is used as a vehicle for the bigotry of no. a lot of people in Scotland especially in Glasgow and we've all seen it Including them, I'm sure themselves, they can't be blamed to it, right? So I would like to see them doing more to that. Um, but ultimately, I think when you say you can have an orange walk, you can't march, you're not allowed to march, right? I see that as well. What is going on there, right? That's that's systemic prejudice. That's systemic bigotry. Like if you're saying they can have marches all year round because that's just tradition and it's the way it is, but you can't have a St Paddy's Day march. One of the only places, one of the only countries in the world, doesn't it? Seriously, look this up. One of the only countries in the world. Doesn't have a St Paddy's much, and I can't get a good reason for it after any of the day. No, I'd like if there is a good reason, somebody, somebody write it to me. I'll feel better. I'll sleep better at night, right? Because right now it's like, what's going on? Like that's not right. I know. I think in another kind of similar area to what you're talking about, both in terms of, you know, that the two sides of that argument, uh, and also the sort of conservative nature of Scotland is, like the recent offensive behaviour act. Like, mm-hmm. So, for me, that was again. A, le- a government legislating against free speech and free expression, which is supposed to be essentially the sort of number one right in you know a free society. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also it led to massive over policing uh, mm-hmm. stadiums up and down the country, um, and also there was the you know the, the Ketlin incident and the Gallagate, which you know for half an hour earlier I'd have been stuck in it with my daughter. You know what I mean? Like, um, so it's one of them where I think that, that conservativeness that you talk about in terms of Scotland as a general how it legislates and how it acts can definitely be seen in a few examples and, and obviously this is one of them. Um, I just don't know. It's one of these ones where I think it has to be respected, the, you know, the expressions, but the responsibilities that come along with you see it recently with um, you know, guys like Alex Jones and you know, if the, the fella who was teaching his dog stuff that's ridiculous. That guy getting sent to jail, man. Like, I, I think that was offensive, that video, but that guy should never get sent no, to jail. No, absolutely not. But yeah. what I'm saying is, in a free society, that expression, they, they talk about guys like Alex Jones and you know issues related to offensive behaviour as if, you know, just because you you can say whatever you want, you, that you should. You know what I mean? And it's, again, probably linked to a lot of other stuff, you know, your um, fake news and all these other things as well, is that these guys are out there spewing what they believe is their right to spew, but because it's not contextualised with any sort of reality, I think it's, how do you combat it? You know what I mean? How do you deal with it? I think this is one of the big questions, isn't it? And it's a question, it's one of these, it's one of the questions that you actually can't ask because the the knee-jerk reaction is just to, to censor. Aye. So we ban the Orange Walk because we don't like them, we ban you know, YouTubers because we don't like them, we ban songs because we don't like them, like it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit nonsensical. Mm-hmm. I think that, aye, I, I'm, I'm, I'm way on that, I don't think, I mean, I, I've, I try and think about this and I, I can't really see any other way than just having complete freedom of speech mm-hmm. and just shame anybody that, mm-hmm. that does anything that's offensive. Like I'll the, put this to you, right, see if you try to get the orange walk started don't know mm-hmm. as if it wasn't like a thousand year old tradition oh, but like the KKK well if you took that application to Glasgow City Council I mean yeah. see there was a massacre right like a thousand years ago I want to celebrate it you'd be like nah mate nah I'm not really up for that like we'll just we'll just let that way go thank you that I said I appreciate it's tradition it's cultural thing I, I don't I know, if I said I wanted to ban it I don't think I did but if I did I take no. it back I definitely take it back I don't want to ban the orange walk right but I do think it has to be more egalitarian mm-hmm. in that yeah. if you're allowed to march for, if they're allowed to march other people need to be allowed to march mm-hmm. and we should be able to do it in a community atmosphere yeah. where we're not hating each other for marching mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you can have your march and I'll applaud you as you go by and next month I'll have my march and you can do the same that's how it should be mm-hmm. right but it isn't that there's a there's a deep rooted problem in Scotland that's yeah. that's way way deeper than anything today with like one community or one march or anything like that. Yeah. 
and it's 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 a secret shame, isn't it? It's a silent shame. Like we don't like talking about it. We, we're not supposed to talk about it. And actually, to bring it up, you sort of you quote danger, don't you? You flirt with the idea. Like even me yeah. saying, like, oh, I'm not too keen on the idea of the orange walk can happen, and I can't have a St. Paddy's Day much. I, I could conceivably get hassled with people being like, oh, what are you saying about the orange walk? You know what I mean? Like me, my dad, his dad, we've all done it. Like. Yeah. I've, I've seen these people before. Do you know what I mean? Like they're they're, they're emotionally connected with this bigotry yeah. that they have, and it's it's allowed to happen by by the organisations themselves. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's it's the same everywhere. You know, everybody's got their problems. There's no one community that's to blame or at fault. I think it's a thing in Scotland that we just we like we're miserable, right? Like we like to shout at each other. We like to have reasons to hate each other. I reckon if an alien race was to attack Scotland, we'd be stalling shoulder to shoulder in five minutes, but the rest of the time, we're just going to pretend to hate each other. Right? We touched on the alien invasion that's about to happen, don't we, Martin? Another, another Is there episode. an alien invasion coming? Uh, um, well, 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 I caught me, I did not say. Aye, I caught me, I did not say. That's happening now, 100%. So. That's, aye. I predicted it on his deathbed, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want it better. I'll send you a link. Um, <laughs> on that, we'll put it in the comments. We're, we're at an hour, man, but... Um, We've got a we me and Matt are considering a conspiracy theory right episode. Okay. What's your favourite? My favourite conspiracy theory. Uh, the Kennedy assassination is juicy. You know, as in like who done that? I've always enjoyed that one. It was mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson's dad did it. Was it seriously? No, he was there though. Was he, he was, actually? He was paid to be there. He was paid to kill him. Aye. Woody what? Harrelson's dad. What? Woody Harrelson's dad was paid to kill. He was. He was in the mafia. You can right. Google it. Um, right. 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 It, was, be, it was there. Google. It was there. Right. Um, but I am. Um, I've I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple. Of, <laughs> I've seen a couple of theories, and um, one of the most batshit crazy theories of the JFK assassination that I seen in a documentary was a claim that they were in the sewers, and that's why his head like goes. Well, that's like that. fucking mental. But <laughs> that's fucking mental. Somebody that was there said that at the time. And I'd read this because I was like, that's fucking nonsense. How They were in the sewers and they shot up for the right. sewers. Right, through a car? Through a motor? Um, no, well, it's... Was that a storm drain or something? It's like there. It was a big storm oh, drain. Right. Like They're one of the American... Aye, yeah. where it's like, basically like... I thought you meant like... Bricks okay. missing so that ah. water can come down. And I'd seen it in a documentary where the guy was saying, this was this is what happened. Definitely. I was like, right, this is so fucking mental. <laughs> and then there was something else that I watched a couple of months later where they said that the first place that they ran was down to the storm drain mm-hmm. and I was like wait a minute so there's something that you can go in if you like JFK I like a lot of sort of crazy conspiracies that just make me think there's some belters that are hilarious Aye. man oh, yeah. there's, like, some, there's some flat uh, earth is that, I, I mean come on me, man. come on it's just people I know. being dicks I've watched think so? <laughs> I, I might be I might agree with you, man. Just, it's just unbelievable. I'm just trolling people for this. I've watched a couple of documentaries just to see what's going on here. What yeah, are they saying? What are they claiming? And um, I watched the one. I watched something. I watched a podcast. They had a, a flat earth on, and they said if you watch one flat earth documentary, watch this one. So I was like straight away, take a note of that, and I watched it. <laughs> and basically, all the arguments are based on if physics didn't exist, <laughs> this <laughs> could be possible. I mean, he, he was saying stuff that like. Um, that planes taking off are like holograms because there's no air. There's no like you can't even do like the the air pressure to like to fly and stuff like that. It was it was so fucking <laughs> mental. And this was the flagship documentary. Right. I've just never heard an argument that I've thought, oh, aye, that makes sense, right? Like I just I don't get it. I don't understand what's converting no. people to this idea that the earth must be flat. Actually, I think it's just a complete bam up. You think so? Just aye. a lot of trolls that have agreed and are community. Like that. Jump on that. Do you think yeah, somebody's yeah. maybe been sitting and went, let's see if anybody believes this shit, um, and went, the Earth's flat or whatever, but it's been a popular one, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a really, a it goes back, space, like, on a homemade rocket, to try and prove did it. Did they survive? Did they survive? and prove that the Earth was flat. Did they survive? Um, well, I'm assuming so, but it was one of the ones I read it in the day, in the build up to it, and then went, nah, bullshit, and then never went back to it, you know what uh, I mean, so, yeah, yeah. it might have actually... Proved that the earth was flat and I missed it to be fair. Mm. I feel like we had a heard about that. <laughs> I feel like somebody managed to take a picture on their iPhone of a flat earth, we don't know about it. But like, that, would have, that would have hit Twitter like a fucking Aye. fireball. Right? Like, fuck's sake. I think my favourite one, the new, it's not even my favourite one, it's just one I've, I've uh, heard recently is, is that all dinosaur bones or fossils are actually big birds. <laughs> And it's a it's a conspiracy to make people think that oil will run it, and in fact that oil isn't a fossil fuel, it's just the centre of the, the earth is just made of oil and it's it reproduces constantly and that's why like they come up with this idea of the dinosaurs and fossils. Man. 
You need to think these people are just sitting like in their house eating fucking Doritos and then say, oh, do you know what? I think they are full of oil. And then write it down and people go, oh, that's he's you know, right. Have you seen this? Do you, know, do you know whose church promotes it? Promotes the idea? Jeff, Ses- Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions. That's his church. They promote that oil. idea. Yeah, no they think that oil. That. So this is all. This is all like coming together with the sort of knee, uh, climate change uh, and all this. And you're like, where's this? Is this coming for this wee fucking? Some of the stuff, man, <laughs> that you hear coming out of churches in America, <laughs> man, it's fucking unbelievable, isn't it? Like the Westboro Baptist people, man, is, is they've got to be some of the worst human beings alive, Absolutely. man. Like it's unbelievable what they do. I think it's incredible what you can make somebody believe. Like that they would actually believe that some of the shit that they fucking some of the stuff Aye. I mean gone and protesting like soldiers funerals and mm-hmm. all this type of stuff I mean it's crazy I've loved the Foo Fighters again back to the fucking Foo Fighters I do love the Foo Fighters mm-hmm. but did you see when they went and played for them so the Westboro Baptist Church protested outside a Foo Fighters concert and the Foo Fighters got on the back of a truck and dressed up as rednecks and went and played or playing Leonard Skinner and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was Having fucking said that, awesome. Did they enjoy it? Were they, were they enjoying it? I think they were. Yeah, they're, they're, they're good sports. They're good sports. That's the thing. Mm. Like When anybody goes and approaches them, Aye. they're like the ultimate trolls. They're, I don't actually believe that they actually believe what they think they believe. Mm. That's I've seen a few that went through but, things with them I'm not uh, sure about that but I know, I mean, there definitely there is a reaction factor to the, the protest definitely you know what I mean like protesting I'm just thinking right just, like if my like let's say big God brother you, or son or uncle or whatever was dead right in a war or something like that and I turn up to the funeral and I've got this fucking crowd of fannies outside going I God hates fags and that mate You'd be why killed him. You'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Get to fuck. You don't even know this guy. You know what I mean, Aye. like, why, what right have you got to turn up and talk shit? You know what I mean? Oh, it's horrible. Military funerals in America, like that's a, a, a sensitive thing for them, and almost everybody had that's going to be armed. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you're going to get shot. Surprising that none of them have been shot. It is actually a surprise, isn't it? Like I, when I'm saying they're good sports, I'm not meaning that they're nice people. I'm no. just meaning that when the cameras come, they're they they're more they're more than happy to put on a wee show. So I would have probably thought they would have probably jumped about like Foo Fighters. They'd have probably not been like pure get to fuck or whatever. They'd have been pure loving it because mm. the cameras were there and like getting, getting some attention. Because that's really all that they're there today on it is mm, to exactly. get some fucking attention. Mm-hmm. It's just a whole bunch of people that need to fucking I don't know get up. Get their hole. Get laid a wee bit. Aye. Smoke some weed. Maybe. Anyway, dude, that's us past hour, man. And we've got a Celtic game. Aye. What time is it? It's uh, seven minutes past five and the game kicks off at seven. Oh, so fine, man. We'll the we'll game, it starts on BT Sport half past six. So. We'll stop there, man. Thanks very much for coming on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you guys for, for having me. I hope this, uh, I'm really enjoying your show. I'm going to keep watching it and uh, I hope it all goes well for you, man. I'm looking forward to seeing it develop. Thanks very much, dude. And uh, all the links for Flat Two Right, um, anything that we've spoke about, we'll just fire in the links to them on uh, YouTube and SoundCloud. Cheers, man. All right, cheers.